Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to our six-part series called Agents of Change. I'm Nancy Bermhall, and along with my co-host, Ed Lynn. Hi. <laughs> we're talking to exceptional individuals who are changing things up. We're curious, as we hope you are, to learn more of what is motivating our guests to find new solutions for problems sometimes we didn't even know we had. They're changing the world in so many fascinating ways. Ed and I are from careers in, non, in the nonprofit sector, and I've really come to believe that change comes from within people who then drive organizations and industries that are ripe for new ideas. We hope that you find what you hear about the journeys as fascinating as we do, and that it will inspire you as well. Here in episode four, we will shortly introduce you to Cora Cora Kraus, for the last 12 years, she's worked to drive strategy and business development in asset management, banking, and the NGO sector with a focus on sustainable finance, especially climate-related risks, opportunities, and innovation. So welcome, Cora. Cora, we couldn't be more excited to have you. Um, can you hear us? I hear you very well. Oh, Thank you so much for okay. having me. Oh, it's so nice to hear your voice. Um, so you have to tell everybody listening, where are, are we speaking to you from? <laughs> so I'm based in Germany and you just catch me on a Saturday afternoon. I'm sitting in my living room. Uh, my little dog, Omar Sharif, sits just across uh, on his little sofa. So that's oh. where I'm right now, in a very relaxed <laughs> space. Well, if we hear him, we will, we will share some smiles because we love dogs around here, well, except for Ed. But... I love dogs, especially when they Reef. That's great. There you go. <laughs> um, so we're really happy that you're here via Zoom. God bless Zoom. And willing to talk about the, for me anyway, fascinating new field of sustainable finance. I really suspect, like me, some of our listeners don't really know much, if anything, about the subject yet. But for some of us in the nonprofit sector, the conversations are definitely going around in some of our donor conversations. Um, Ed works in major gifts, which we'll probably talk about. Um, and among the finance committees of our organizations, um, can you explain to our listeners what sustainable finance really is? What's, what, what area does that scope out for any of us? Yeah, of course. So sustainable finance, actually really refers to the inclusion of environmental, social, and um, corporate governance criteria, so the acronym here is ESG, into the decision-making process of financial players. So, and then hoping that this will lead to more long-term investments and sustainable economic activities. Um, so the idea of sustainable or ESG investing is something that is around since about 20 years, maybe even a little longer. But of course, today we have a much more increased focus on the topic, luckily. Um, maybe if, if I may, just one word why there is so much focus on the topic, not only um, by the public or by investors, but also from governance and why they think it's important. And one example of this is um, the or maybe the most interesting or most important example is the Paris Climate Agreement. So that has said to keep climate heating below two degrees. And here this agreement particularly states that financial institutions are the key lever to redirect capital 
um, so to enable a low carbon economy. Maybe just um, the first introduction oh, of the topic. Yeah. So how has that conversation come into the finance community? What what path have you witnessed or been in, kind of involved in? Yeah, there... yeah Chris. So um, maybe I, I would just evaluate on three key um, drivers in the market, and maybe just as a like little introduction to what uh, sustainable finance and ESG investing means. So I just have mentioned it's something that's around since about twenty years, but back then, like let's say the early two thousand, we had the situation that maybe you remember the Kyoto Protocol, which was like one of the first treaties or major treaties in the environmental or climate change discussion. And this has happened in 1998, 99, when this treaty, treaty was ratified, ratified, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. right. Um, and back then, you know, there was this first focus that there were like um, this discussions on climate change, um, the financial crisis that came later was still like, I would say like a little bit far away. Um, there was uh, the first industry initi initiatives that were founded, like the main or key initiative is called PRI, Principles for Responsible Investing. Um, and so the topic actually was first really, I would say like invented as an investment strategy back then. Um, but as of today, like sustainable finance and ESG is really something that is, you know, like very much into like part of every discussion in the financial world or even ESG part of every kind of economic discussion or decision nowadays. Um, and the three like drivers I would like to mention are one, uh, the, the new, like the millennial generation, which I'm like still one. <laughs> um, and the millennial generation is like the, uh, it's a generation I think that are in their late twenties until like late thirties, like early forties, I believe. And this is not only the most important um, generation if it comes to like key employer in the market or employees in the market, key, um, like the key generation that actually like buys new products, but it's also like a generation that is, you know, like the most important investor generation. So people that are actually investing money and millennials are really like more than other generations before trying to align like their personal set of values where oftentimes sustainability is part of um, this, the values of, you know, for example, the company they work with, the product they buy, or the investment they are taking, or the financial product they are buying. So that's one of the reasons, or one of the key drivers we see as a pull in the market, and we see this very much in um, in the flow data if it comes to sustainable focused investments. Um, so I mean, like just in the last few quarters, if you compare the first quarter of 2019 um, with the first quarter of 21 just the percentage of flows in ESG products compared to like overall financial products just tripled. Um, and there is, for example, there was one research by Bloomberg that estimated that by 2025, so in just three, four years, one third of all assets under management will be classified as ESG probably or potentially even more. So you see that there's a huge pull in the market. Then the second um, driver is um, the governmental or like regulatory area. So on one side, we see that 
you know, there is a stronger shift into the area. I would say Europe is, is more kind of the leading player here. Like uh, they have introduced something that is called um, the Sustainable Finance Action Plan that is now um, coming into action. So they have developed um, a taxonomy and they have this, uh, developed some disclosure regulations for financial products if it comes to sustainable finance. But we also see that in the US, for example, there is, you know, especially now with the new Biden administration, there's quite a shift. I'm just, I mean, one example is that uh, there was this announcement um, uh, a little earlier this, I think earlier this year, that said uh, that the US wants to cut 50% of its emissions by 2030. So that's huge. Um, well, there's also, if it comes to regulation, a lot of self-regulation going on. For example, there are various net zero initiatives where like organizations try to self-regulate themselves if it comes to like aligning with the Paris Agreement. Um, and then maybe as the just as a quick focus on the third driver, it's technology and technology compared with data availability. So we see that you know technology, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning is enabling a more kind of sophisticated use of data, especially non-financial data or like new ways of data where like, especially with a focus on ESG, there's a huge movement in the market on what we can look at, how to retrieve this information and having a more kind of rounded picture of like investments globally. Um, and yeah, this is really enabling also to have a more kind of forward looking view if we just like stick to the topic of um, the Paris Agreement, like, you know, what can what information can be used to see if a company is actually on track with the ambitions of the Paris Agreement with the um, below two degree uh, global heating. Um, just as a very, <laughs> uh, as a wrap up, I hope that wasn't too complicated. No. No, that's fascinating. I, you know, boy, um, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> uh, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm encouraged that um, one of the drivers is, are the millennials and the, the youngest generation. And what's so my perspective is, is interesting. So in my industry in fundraising, we view millennials as with sort of mystery. I don't understand them. They're very different from the folks we're used to dealing, especially in major gifts, I think we're coming from a culture where um, it's sort of patron driven, people give to causes, and then they trust that those people go out and do things. And, and my sense is that the younger generation, they want more involvement, they want to have more control, they want to understand the data, they want to understand. Um, on the one hand, it can be frustrating for sort of the old infrastructure, for the way business has been done in nonprofits often. Um, but on the other hand, it makes perfect sense to me, and it's encouraging that people are curious and care enough that they want to not just write a check, but uh, get involved and, and have some impact. Um, so um, I, you know, um, I, I guess my question, <laughs> that wasn't really so much a question as a, a statement, but, um, you know, uh, those millennials. So I guess what is the connection between that and the finance industry? I guess you're saying that they are the employees of the future and they also are the investors of the future. Is it really the anticipation that, that, that these millennials are going to grow up and then become uh, an important part of the finance community or? 
Well, I would say they already are. Mm-hmm. Not only as, um, I mean, you just stated, for example, the as um, key players or employees in the financial industry, but also as investors. Though there was a huge wealth shift in the last few years, uh, which made the millennial generation as like the wealthiest um, yeah, part of the society. So these people really have financial impact. Yeah, forgive me. I'm showing my age. <laughs> it, it, it's and it's not. I, I certainly don't mean to discount the current importance of it. I guess you know I I am coming from um, a different uh, perspective on things. So I guess that's why it's important that we're talking today. Yeah, well, absolutely. It, I was going to say it's kind of interesting for me. I'm older than Ed, even, but um, <laughs> what what I see in uh, my private consulting business but also in something that, that you know, our team has been working on that, that we're gonna be doing that is very tied into um, a product that we'll deliver in the nonprofit world that's really geared for that sort of 20 to 40 group. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very much the driving force in a lot of nonprofit work now. Um, and I see them in on the donor side. Um, there, I'll give you for instance, this is for Ed, but this is for our viewers too, but um, you know, we, we see them kind of coming into uh, boards now uh, because they've accumulated wealth. They're um, not that happy with the pace of decision-making yes. and um, they're looking for greater return on financial investment structure sometimes. Um, they're also looking for um, you know, uh, the significance of an investment strategy so that uh, no investment money from this, you know, a particular nonprofit is going into, um, you know, uh, companies that use uh, workers that are underpaid or international situations, et cetera. I don't have to go into that so much, but we're, I'm fascinated by that, that shift. I, maybe I'm seeing it Ed's right now working in maybe a more traditional uh, museum structure. That's interesting. We are, but we are being, those forces are definitely apparent, I think um, mm-hmm. brought up in part by the pandemic mm-hmm. and also and the changes brought about by that, but also um, the uh, social justice issues that have um, mm-hmm. you know, coincided with that. Yeah. Um, so we are very much right now uh, under a lot of pressure. Um, including from our younger employees to, to make substantial changes in the way we do our business and ensure equity and transparency. And, and that is all good and positive. That's all, it's, it's welcomed, I think. Um, you know, making, actually making those changes is uh, sometimes takes longer and is more complicated than, than some people would uh, think or like, but um, the, the drivers are definitely there. Um, so Cora, Cora, tell us a little bit, uh, I'm thinking, how does it play out on, if I'm sitting on the finance side? So I'm imagining that some of these, let's pick on the millennials for a moment still. Uh, let's, I'm imagining that, that uh, an individual or a couple comes in to meet with their financial advisor. And, um, you know, they're very driven by how is their money being put to good use when they're coming up with investment strategy. Is that what the banking industry is starting to see in your scenario of driver number one? Yes. Um, so there is a huge pull um, from actually like 
also retail investors um, mm. for uh, ESG products or sustainable finance products. So, and this is a huge change from like comparing uh, the market from like a few years ago, when if we looked at um, the market of sustainable finance, um, the majority of these uh, assets were like uh, coming from asset owner or like more kind of institutional asset owners. So for example, pension funds, or like other large organizations that wanted to have their assets managed more sustainable, just to make it more aligned with their mission. Um, and this has changed quite a bit that this cake of sustainable finance um, is, has now like a very sizable um, piece of retail investors. So like, for example, um, millennials uh, or, or young people that say like, I just want, if it just comes to my personal retirement plan, if it just comes to my personal, whatever, like ETF investment, I want a solution that is, um, yeah, more sustainable, more aligned with my values. Um, yeah, I remember a conversation, uh, in fact, I was working for um, Central Europe-based cultural center right mm -hmm. before the pandemic. And, um, I remember a conversation with their US-based, Boston-based, East Coast-based um, uh, investment sort of advisor for their funds. And he called me once and said, I really want to talk to you about this subject area because he said there are, our uh, investors are just pounding on the door. You know, they really want to know what our investment strategy is. And they were scrambling to sort of come up with um, with a plan that they could participate in and really begin to understand. All right, this is maybe a stupid question, but are there uh, entities that you know about where there are groups that are really talking about this uh, at, uh, at, at financial meetings or levels, or how do we get the financial world or any of us working in the nonprofit sector, how do we get ourselves even more educated other than listening to this podcast with you. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, where are people going to get good information? Yeah, actually, like, you're just hitting on the most important question in the market. So also on the finance or financial market side, like the market is hungry for like young individual individuals or what, what no, just actually professionals with some background in the topic because they are so rare just in the past it wasn't too much of a focus area so there were a few specialists but not that many and today like theoretically every every salesperson every like sustainable market participant should have a certain knowledge or even like a high knowledge of sustainability and that's not the case yet um, so there's a high demand of um, um, knowledge like knowledge in the market and um yeah, we, we we like see right now that they're trying to upskill their people, um, but it does it does take time, and I, I would say that's like a little bit of a bottleneck bottleneck in the market um, on on the financial side as well. Um, if it comes to the retail market, or if it comes to like I would just say like the the public, um, I mean there is a lot of uh, information in the media right now, so there are a lot of sources, um, but it's not that easy to actually educate yourself on the topic. Uh, and I would say like, that's a huge problem because if we talk about um, sustainable finance or sustainable um, 
finance solutions. There are so many different um, strategies in the market. And even for the experts, it's kind of hard to kind of draw a line between the different strategies. Um, there are also like regional differences on like how to interpret um, ESG investments. So like the a European view on the topic would be slightly different than a US focus, for example. Um, the different players actually came up with their own definitions. So I would say like the ESG field is a little bit like the Wild West at the moment. It seems to me in our country here, <laughs> there still remains so much uh, controversy over the idea of sustainability or um, uh, you know, climate change and things. It's not, it's not settled science for some reason here. And while I, I do feel, my perspective is there's a growing uh, uh, acceptance of it and, and therefore a desire or, um, uh, you know, to, 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 to do something about it and be, be part of that change. And certainly among certain demographics, it's, it's always been uh, important. Uh, but we remain a country that's that's fairly divided uh, if you look across the country uh, on that. And so I just feel like we're way behind um, uh, over over here. Um, do you think that's true? I mean, and, and are the, uh, the, the financial reactions uh, in the U.S. different than they are in other parts of the world? So maybe let me start with um, just the growth rate of uh, inflows into sustainable products in the U.S. is massive. Mm -hmm. so the growth rate of uh, the growth rate is higher than in Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a huge market, and I has just mentioned this number that Bloomberg estimates that by twenty twenty five, one third of all assets, like all managed assets, are uh, allocated to sustainable or ESG products. I mean, this means there is a lot of drive in the market and we also see a lot of drive in the US market. Um, if it comes to the develop, the, the, the kind of the development stage of the market, I would say, what is a huge difference um, between the US and Europe is the regulatory environment. So in Europe, they are like a step ahead if it comes to regulating what a financial product is, what are like the different criteria, um, what actually defines um, a, a green uh, economic action, um, what kind of uh, um, company is actually green per definition or sustainable per definition. So I would say from an US perspective, you could even argue it's a little bit Overregulated at the moment. Um, I mean, it's also like something where like there is, I mean, there is a lot of regulation introduced right now in Europe, but it's still like in the in the development, I would say. Um, and you don't have it that much in the US. But on the other side, if it comes to more kind of innovative solutions, I would even say that the US, especially if it comes to particular themes or investment themes that you, the US is even a little bit ahead. So I would say there's a lot of movement in the market, um, but it's hard to compare it, which again, makes it complex for the, I would say like normal, the normal investor or normal individual that- It's really interesting, again, when I put the nonprofit, you know, kind of glasses on here, um, a lot of the conversations that I am involved in from time to time are around, um, you know, they would call it impact investing. And I realize that I think people have 
at least again with my own little experience, uh, perhaps people here are, are not understanding the complexity. We're all learning. And, um, you know, we're, we're hanging on to a phrase that we like because it's, it sounds great. Um, but I, I can clearly see that there's a lot more learning that's going to have to go on for any of us to feel comfortable having, you know, a significant conversation either individually with our financial advisors or with our organizations as they're trying to move along this path too. Um, Wow, that's interesting. Thank you for that description. Um, I suppose, of course, I'm kind of curious. Um, you didn't just sort of grow up, get out of college and get a job. <laughs> What's been your journey? How did you move along the path of wanting to be involved in this area? Um, yeah, actually, I started my career as um, actually in financial communications and financial journalism. That's what I did for the first few years. And I remember that I was into my career for maybe three, two, three years. And that was when actually the financial crisis like was in full swing. And at some point I was, I have to admit, like I was a little bit um, frustrated or disillusionated from like by the financial market and like all the bad that has happened. And uh, I remember that back then I, I took a volunteering, like well, there was a volunteering opportunity um, in Washington with National Geographics and more or less out of chance, I was placed in the editorial department writing on climate change. And that was when I was hooked by the topic of climate change. So that's something that was always very close, actually since then, very close to my heart. Um, I think that was like 2009, maybe 2010, something around then. And then I applied, like I first took on an assignment um, uh, from WWF, like the this big nature organization or conservation, orga, um, conservation organization, um, also fixing climate change and the economy and then started working for another very interesting nonprofit organization called Carbon Disclosure Project. And this um, uh, nonprofit, actually they founded the first um, disclosure mechanism um, for corporate environmental impact measurement. And they were founded, I believe in 2000. So also around this time when like the sustainability discussion, the financial markets became first you know, like a topic. Um, and they provided the information they collected from companies to the financial market. And that was something I was really curious about, like the interplay between, um, between uh, like the financial market, um, corporate reporting or corporate action or impact and um, like how to connect it, how does it, drive each other in the context of climate change or like environmental protection? What, what can we do like that? There is like a like positive impact coming, coming out of it. Um, and like I have mentioned in the beginning um, that when the Paris Agreement um, was discussed that like, like it was mentioned that one of the key drivers or levers in this whole discussion should be the financial market because there is a lot of power from, from the financial market to actually have a positive impact on sustainable development. Um, so that was something I've always been interested uh, interested in. In like the last 
the last six years, I've been working for um, a leading European financial institution. I'm focusing on asset management. And also there, like I mainly focus on ESG, ESG strategies, um, and also like on all the like current developments in this area, maybe as a, as a first uh, or like as a maybe longer wrap up on, <laughs> on my journey. Um, are there some aspects of the uh, sustainable finance area that you work on that might surprise our listeners? Um, well, what I find very interesting is like how we can, uh, how the different like tr um, players in the market or the different uh, stakeholders can merge forces, for example, um, working together with NGOs and leveraging the different uh, skill sets or the different um, knowledge capabilities of an NGO and a financial institution. This is something I find very interesting as one example. Um, yeah, I also like, uh, I think uh, something we, we had discussed in a previous uh, uh, conversation, like I'm also interested in the entrepreneurial world um, because like a lot of the innovation that is required right now um, might not be developed um, in like corporate settings or by like governmental driven in, like uh, projects, but like probably more in entrepreneurial, more kind of innovative um, um, settings. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, this has all actually been very encouraging to me to, to know. I mean, I, I do think that um, money is... <laughs> A lot of people won't do things for the right reasons, but they will do it for money. And I think that, that, that having this driver behind the effort to to you know make sure that we live in a sustainable world is it gives me hope. Um, a question we always like to ask our guests is, uh, what might you have done as a career if you weren't in finance? Um. So I always. So there were actually two career paths. Uh, I've always looked into when I was younger and I still find interesting. Uh, one is biology and the other is uh, art. Art. Are you an artist yourself? What, uh, what, what's your interest? I, I love painting. Um, I love photography. More kind of really like the, uh, like the creating part of it. Um, I mean, I haven't found much time in the past few years to really focus on it. Um, but yeah, it's something that I love to do. And I also, yeah, I, I also like this creative part of myself. So, yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds to me like a nice balance between, you know, uh, soul and brain <laughs> when you, you're able to find that kind of balance. And I'm really pleased to hear you say that. I didn't know that. It's so important, I think. I, I'm so rich. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you should tell tell everyone listening. No, well, you should go on your creative no, no, side. I, well, no, I would just say that I, I think that uh, being well rounded and, and, and most importantly, doing the things that you find passionate uh, that you are passionate about is so important, whatever it is. And uh, hopefully, it includes art and music. And you know, music is important. is very important to me, and I, I think it helps me better focus on, on on the work that I have to do. And it just it brings me joy, and that's I think important for all of us, right? Oh. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so the real answer is Ed's in a band. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, well, look, um, I, I know I speak for all of our listeners when I say that um, 
we've learned so much from talking to you today. Um, it's truly wonderful to have you as a guest. I, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Um, I want to thank our guests for listening today. Um, as our own agent of change, listeners can catch Change Lab at www.yourchangelab.com, coming soon. And uh, soon you'll find fun, educational, gamified courses making a difference to the nonprofit community. Uh, stay tuned for our final and sixth episode. Uh, and you can keep an eye on Cora Cora on LinkedIn. Thanks so much for being with us.